0: Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, it's just good to gather with you this morning to be singing the songs we sang. I love hearing you guys sing about God's grace. I hope it's been encouraging to you this morning. So before we begin our time, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful to be able to gather together this morning. It's a privilege, a joy to be with your people It's a privilege and a joy to sing songs to you and about you. It's a privilege and a joy to open up your word. And so as we do that now, I pray that we would place ourselves under your word, that you would allow your word to speak into our lives, both as individuals and as a church family, as a community together of brothers and sisters. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to get out of the way. That this would not be anything about me, about what I say, but Lord, that your spirit would use these words to bring hope, to bring encouragement, to bring conviction. And Lord, whether we are walking very closely with you right now and recognize your presence in our lives or we feel very distant from you, and maybe even are questioning whether you exist or not, I pray that this morning, that as we open your word, as we continue to celebrate and sing together, that you would draw us to you, draw us closer to you. And so, Lord, we ask for your spirit to do that work. It's only by your spirit that can take place. And so we ask, we beg that you would do that this morning. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, every week at Sojourn, we preach out of the scriptures, out of God's word. We just started a series in the book of Galatians. And so if you need a Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand? We'll have a few folks bring a Bible around to you so that you can read along with us uh, in the book of Galatians. And just encourage you, if you don't actually own a Bible, please take that home. We'd love for you to take that with you so that you have a copy of God's word uh, so that you can read that throughout the week. and, And especially as we're going through this book over the rest of the summer. So just keep your hand up until somebody finds you so that you have God's word with you this morning. You know, recently I've been reading uh, the book Unbroken. How many people have read the book or seen the movie Unbroken? No, okay, a good, a good number of you. You, you should read it, uh, and you should, I guess, go see the movie. I haven't seen the movie yet. I want to finish the book first. Uh, but this this story is the story of a guy named Louis Zamperini. He he was an Olympic runner who then became and, and got engulfed in World War II uh, and became a part of a crew of a B twenty four bomber that was flying in the Pacific. And this story is a story of survival. His plane crashed into the Pacific Ocean. I mean, it's a phenomenal story. Over and over again, I'm just going, you've got to be kidding me. This is crazy that this guy has survived all of these things. But in reading this book, it brought it a little bit closer to home for me because my grandfather, my mom's dad, was a pilot of a B-24 bomber in World War II. And as as I'm reading this story of of survival of Louis, it made me think about the survival of my own grandfather. Because first off, he just made it through training. In reading this book, they account how faulty these B-24 bombers were. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men died in training on these planes before ever seeing combat. It's amazing. My grandfather made it through that. But then as he's flying over Germany, his plane is shot He has to bail out of the airplane. It's amazing that he survived that. But then he landed in enemy territory and was captured by the Nazis. And spent time in a POW camp. He survived that as well and eventually was liberated from this POW camp at the end of war. It's a crazy story. But it's crazy to think about how his survival impacts my life. See, my grandfather was married when he went off to war, but he didn't have any kids yet. And so it's crazy to think that if he hadn't made it through training, if he hadn't made it through being shot down, if he hadn't made it through the POW camp, I wouldn't be standing here this morning. Because my mom wouldn't be here this morning. So this isn't just an interesting story. It impacts my life. It has consequences for me. Well, today as we jump into Galatians chapter 2, we will see that Paul continues to share a lot of autobiographical information. We looked at some of that last week, but he he continues sharing the story of his own life. And as he relates this autobiographical information, what we recognize is it's not just an interesting story. It has a point. It has a purpose. And it has a point and a purpose not just for the Galatians. It has a point and a purpose for you and for me as well. What Paul shares... And what happened to him has consequences for you right here, right now in Fairfax, Virginia. So I'm excited to jump into this this morning and see how and why this impacts your life and my life. So if you have your Bible, go ahead, flip over to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1 and read these first 10 verses that the Apostle Paul writes. He says this. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary... Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Last week we looked at Galatians chapter 1 verses 10 through 24 and Paul shares a bit of his story. He talks about how God came to him to rescue him. How God saved him by his grace alone and brought Paul into relationship in and through Jesus. Paul who had been trying to earn God's favor, who had been trying to do things to be in a right relationship with God, encountered Christ, or I should say Christ encountered him And saved him and brought him into a relationship with him. And and we've looked at the fact that Paul, who had once persecuted the church, God now has called and commissioned to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. To preach Christ to people. Who he is and what he's done. And this calling and commission, Paul makes clear to us that it wasn't something he just decided to do on his own. It wasn't something he came up with on on his own. Jesus called him to do it. And so Paul continues as we get into chapter 2 continue to tell a story, continue to talk about his life and, and these things that have happened in the past. And so as I was studying it this week and, and thinking about the text this week, I, I really I was trying to ask myself the question, why is he telling the Galatians this? I mean, it's an interesting story, right? But, but why is he telling this? What's so important? What's the point? Why do they need to know about this part of Paul's life? This has to be more than just an interesting background story to Paul's life. But here's the deal. Here is why Paul is sharing this information. Paul is sharing this information because the content of his conversation and meeting with the apostles directly impacts the Galatians, and it directly impacts you and me. As we get into this, we'll see the why and the how of that. See, Paul's relating this story to the Galatians. It's something that's happened in the past to him. He's recounting this story We saw last week that Paul had already met the Apostle Peter. But here we see that he goes up to Jerusalem again, and this time he brings Barnabas and Titus. Titus is one of the people that Paul preached God's grace to. Titus is one of those people that that as Paul shared his life, as he shared the gospel with Titus, that Titus understood his need for Jesus. And he and he became a, a child of grace. He followed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it's important that he's here at this meeting, and we'll see why in a moment. But 14 years have passed since Jesus met Paul on the Damascus Road. 14 years have passed since Paul was given by God ears to hear his need for a Savior, and eyes to see that Savior, thats Jesus and Jesus alone. 14 years have gone by, and here he is going to Jerusalem once again, and he's going, he says, because of a revelation from God that God prompted and led him to go here. But also to set the gospel that he's preaching before the apostles in Jerusalem. He's taking that message, the message he's been sharing with others, and he's laying it before these apostles. So we had to say, why is he doing that? Why does he feel the need to go to these apostles to lay this out? Was it because he was worried that he was preaching the wrong gospel? Was he fearful that he might not have all the pieces, that they may have something else that he needs to know about, that that he's missing something? Does he need their approval? These apostles, these men that spent face-to-face time with Jesus, does he need their approval to preach the gospel? He says that he's going to make sure that he has not and is not running in vain. But see, Paul wasn't afraid that he was teaching the wrong gospel because he would experienced the gospel of grace. He'd heard that from the lips of Jesus himself. He, he knows the grace that Christ gives. He'd experienced that and he'd been saved by it and he'd seen other people saved by and transformed by that grace. So why is Paul going to Jerusalem to lay the gospel that he preaches before the apostles? The reason is, the reason that he's going to do this is because he wants to make sure that these influential leaders in the church, these pillars of the church, that they also would rebuke false teachers. That they also would rebuke any teaching that says that someone needs Jesus plus something else. Paul's fearful. He's unsure. If he goes, what are they going to say? Is it Jesus? Yes, but you got to do a few other things. Have they been persuaded ...by others that say that you needed to add something to the gospel? Have they been persuaded that by these false teachers... ...that someone essentially needs to become Jewish... ...before they can truly be saved... ...before they can truly be reconciled to God... ...and forgiven of their sin? Have they been persuaded? See, Paul has been accused of... ...by these false teachers of preaching easy believism. Easy believism... ...believes that Jesus plus nothing... ...it's too simple... The free grace that he preaches is too outrageous. It was too scandalous. It made people feel uncomfortable. It made them feel nervous. There there has to be something more that you have to do. It's too easy. You don't have to do anything. Jesus did it all. There, There has to be something else. And so these false teachers are adding stuff to the gospel, essentially saying you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law. You need to become Jewish. You need to do something to complete this salvation And Paul has spent the last 14 years of his life since he met Jesus telling all kinds of people all about Jesus. He has preached and proclaimed the outrageous grace of God as someone who's received that. He spent his life sharing with anyone and everyone, both Jew and non-Jew, that you can do nothing. You can bring nothing. You can accomplish nothing that will make you right with God and take away your sin. It's only what Jesus has done. As we've said here before, all you need is need. All you need is nothing to come to Christ by faith because Jesus alone, who he is and what he has done, pays for your sin and gives you his perfect record so that you can be reconciled. To holy God. So that you can have a relationship with holy God. It's what Jesus has done. And so if Peter and James and John. These pillars of the church. These influential leaders. If they've been persuaded to add something to what what Jesus has already done. If they're saying you've been persuaded to say you have to do something in addition to what Jesus has done. Then everything Paul has done. All of his ministry he says would be in vain. Because if they've done that it would destroy the gospel and it would destroy the church. And this is a high-stakes meeting for Paul. It's hugely significant for him. He's had a little bit of interaction with Peter. Man, he wants to know, are we preaching the same gospel? And so Paul brings an example. He brings a test case. He brings Titus. See, it's easy for the apostles to say, just by word? Sure, sure, it's by grace alone. We don't add anything to it. But what happens when a non-Jew, an uncircumcised man, stands in their midst and says, Jesus is Lord? What would they do? How will they respond? See, the false teachers would look at Titus and say, No, 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 you're, you're not done yet. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law. You essentially need to become Jewish to receive true salvation. So what would the apostles in Jerusalem say? He brings this brother along. He brings Titus along. Will they accept him as he is, or will they require him to do something more? Will they champion one gospel for all people, or will they say, no, there's one gospel for this group of people, and there's a different gospel for this group of people? What happens? Look at verse 3. Verse 3, it says, but even Titus Who was with me was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Titus isn't required to do anything else. The the apostles, these influential leaders in the church, they don't ask Titus to do something else, to fall in line with any kind of law, any kind of ritual, any box to check. They accept him as a brother in Christ by grace and grace alone. In verse 6, we see that the apostles, these leaders in the church, they add nothing to Paul. He says, they added nothing to me. They didn't ask us to do anything else. There were no other requirements added to the gospel. Nothing else that anyone has to do. No hoops to jump through. No hurdles to jump over. No rituals to complete. No boxes to check. No rules to follow. It's grace. And grace alone. See, the implication of Titus being there, the implication for the gospel is that anyone, anyone can become a member of God's people a participant and a part of God's family because it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. One gospel for all people. See, the apostles affirm, they say, Paul, the gospel that you're preaching is the gospel that we preach. There's nothing else. It's Jesus plus nothing. But see, the apostles affirm that. They affirm the gospel that Paul preaches it says, yes, we're on the same page. But this meeting accomplishes even more than that. Look at verses 7 through 10 again. Paul says, they add nothing to me at the end of verse 6. And he says, on the contrary, no, instead of, he says, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And God is the same one who's done this in both of us. Verse 9, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Two weeks ago, as we began looking at the book of Galatians, we said the messenger does not validate the message. The message validates the messenger. It doesn't matter what kind of resume Paul has. It doesn't matter what he says he could do, how persuasive he is in his his speech and what he says to people. What happens here is when the apostles heard the gospel of grace from Paul's mouth, when they saw the fruit of the gospel of grace preached in someone like Titus coming to truly know Christ, they knew that Paul had been called to take the gospel to the nations. And they weren't surprised by that because that's what Jesus had called them to do. In Matthew chapter 28, a verse that's familiar to the church, but I think easy for us to just skip over, just kind of, Run by quickly. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Every people group. Every ethnicity. That's what Jesus told them to do at the beginning before Jesus had even ascended into heaven. He said, look, this isn't just for one group of people. It's one gospel for all people. And you are, you are going to be the ones that are going to go and tell people. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus there says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You'll be the people who go out and open your mouths and tell of my grace, you tell of my death, and tell of my resurrection, tell of new life that's found in and through me. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in the city they find themselves in, in Judea, right around that area, in Samaria, right around that area, into the end of the earth. She said, all the nations need to know this. There is one gospel for all people. There's only one good news, and it's good news for everyone. And God had called and commissioned Peter to preach that one gospel. And God had called and commissioned Paul to preach that one gospel. This is the apostles extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul and Barnabas. This isn't some secret handshake to welcome them into a, a secret society or club What the apostles are doing is is making a declaration that we are together for the gospel. It's an acknowledgement that we are united by grace in one family with one mission. To preach Jesus Christ and him crucified to the ends of the earth. And there was work to be done. There was work to be done. Soon after this, Paul would travel all over the place telling more and more people about Jesus. Now we can read this story and we can go back to the book of Acts and see Paul live some of this stuff out in the book of Acts. But why is he telling the Galatians this? This is a story from the past. So why is he telling the Galatians this? Because of what's at stake for them. Look back with me at verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. Paul says there, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, Who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so they might bring us into slavery. Verse five to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. These false brothers who are preaching a false gospel have slipped into it seems as if they've slipped into this meeting. And and Paul says the reason they've slipped into this meeting is that they want to spy out the freedom that Paul's preaching. They don't like this freedom, so they want to spy it out. They want to check it out for the purpose of enslaving this people again, God's people, to slavery. To bring them back under a law to say you need to do something in order to receive favor, receive salvation. One of my favorite movies that came out a long time ago now was is Remember the Titans. I mean, it's a great movie, uh, high school football happening in the 70s. It happens in the 70s here in Virginia, right here in northern Virginia. And the Titans are playing, it's one scene, it's towards, a little bit towards the end of the movie. They're playing in the regional finals for, to get to the state championship. Now, some of the officials in the county, in, in Fairfax County, <laughs> don't like the fact that this team is racially integrated. And they're winning football games. And so they seek to dismantle the team. They seek to end their run to the state championship. And so they get some of the referees of this regional finals game to cheat by throwing the game, by making bad calls on the Titans defense. And the assistant coach of that team knows what's going on. And he tries to go out and and confront the referee and say, I know what's going on. The ref doesn't change. And so, one of the best scenes in the movie, he coaches, he brings the players around, he gets the defense on them, and he says, I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night. And if they cross that line of scrimmage, he says, I'll take every last one of you out of the game. He says, I want you to remember, I want them to remember the night they played the Titans. See, these false teachers had come into the church. To cheat the people of true life and true freedom. And Paul says, we didn't let them gain another yard. We didn't concede an inch on grace. An inch on grace. Because Paul knows it's only the true gospel of Jesus that is saturated from grace from beginning to end. That adds nothing to it and takes nothing away from it that brings true freedom. If he concedes an inch on grace, it's not the gospel. And it leads to slavery. In Jude, the book of Jude, verses 3 and 4, Jude writes this, something very similar to Paul. Paul. Once for all, delivered to the saints. He fought for freedom in the gospel. And the Galatians are a direct recipient of that. He didn't concede an inch on grace, he says, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This is why this meeting is a big deal. This is why Paul's sharing this with the Galatians, saying this meeting was hugely significant Because if grace is thrown out, it tears the church apart. Paul is trying to relate to the Galatians that the gospel of grace, that Jesus plus nothing, is the same gospel that the apostles preach. See, Paul had not and was not running in vain. What he establishes here is that the gospel of grace is the gospel for the whole church. It was after this meeting that Paul went to Galatia. It was after this meeting that these churches were planted, that were formed and founded on grace and grace alone. And he wants to remind the Galatians of that because they're being bombarded with false teaching, saying the gospel that Paul preaches is not the gospel. Paul's saying, No, it is. It is. And it's not just what I believe, it's what the apostles believe, it's what the church has always believed. I love this text because it reminds us of the immense graciousness and kindness of God, the blessing of God to preserve the gospel in his church. I mean, what would have happened if this meeting had gone differently? It could have split the church in two. and Paul's ministry would have been futile and fruitless. It would have produced a twisted grace and a faulty gospel. It resulted in a split church that was dead on arrival and it was likely that these Galatian churches never would have been planted, never would have been started. But this is God's gospel and it's his church and he preserves the message of grace and he uses Paul and the apostles to do so. There is one gospel for all people. There's one gospel for all people. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your cultural heritage is, no matter what your ethnic makeup is, no matter how much or how little you have, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter what good works you've done. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints is grace upon grace upon grace that comes freely, freely through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to all who believe. See, if my grandfather had died when his plane was shot down, or he had died as a POW, I would not be here today. Which means that my two boys would not be here today. Which means a little girl in my wife's womb would not be here today. But God preserved him. God kept him. And so here I stand today preaching grace. And my hope is, is because I stand here today preaching grace, that my kids one day will truly trust in and rest in that grace. And they'll tell their kids about that grace and their kids about that grace. And more and more people will know and experience that grace. See, Paul contended for grace and grace alone alongside of the apostles. They work together in unity for the sake of people like the Galatians to hear that message. But it's also for you and for me. Because if Paul hadn't done that, if the apostles hadn't done that, if something had been added to grace, whether it be laws or rituals or good works or good behavior, none of us would be here today. We wouldn't be sitting here today. Why? Because it's the grace of the gospel that saves is the same grace of the gospel that transforms us, the same grace that compels people to share the greatest hope in all of the world that Jesus and Jesus alone truly saves. We have to think about this. The church started in Jerusalem. When Christ ascended into the heavens, he, he told this group of disciples, this small group of disciples, to wait until the Holy Spirit came upon them and then they would go out and tell more and more people about him it started in Jerusalem because of the outrageous and transforming grace. And then it moved to Judea. Then it moved to Samaria. Then it moved to the ends of the earth. Listen, if you're sitting here today and you, you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you have trusted in grace and grace alone that comes in and through Jesus, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection to be reconciled to God. It's because someone told you about that. Because someone told you about Jesus and his grace. And that person told you about Jesus and his grace because someone told them about Jesus and his grace. And someone told that person about Jesus and his grace. And it goes on and on all the way back to these disciples who were called and commissioned by Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. The gospel of grace is a gospel that advances. It's a gospel that advances. It's one gospel for all people. Missionaries are sent and the gospel of grace spreads because of the scandalous and outrageous and transforming nature of grace and grace alone. It's what compels people. It's what compels people to cross deserts and jungles and mountains and oceans to bring the message of grace to people of all nations. It's what compels you and me to cross the street, to cross the floor, to cross the neighborhood, The hall, whatever we are, wherever we find ourselves, to bring the message of grace to all our neighbors. See, if the message of grace never reaches us, then we would all still be dead in our sin, believing a false gospel. And if the message of grace never reaches them, so will they. But praise God that he has preserved his gospel of grace. And it's what we believe and it's what we preach. And it's crazy to think about the fact that we can read this book of Galatians that was written some almost 2,000 years ago and still hold it up and say, yes and amen, grace and grace alone. That is a miracle of God's preserving grace on his church. Now, there are no commands in this text. Paul doesn't tell the Galatians to do anything. He doesn't tell you and me to do anything specific. He's sharing the story to remind them of the gospel, the one gospel for all people. But as we close, as we wrap up, I just want to call us to do two things in light of what we see in Paul's story. The first thing is to contend and preserve. Contend and preserve. And the second thing is go and proclaim. To contend and preserve, to go and proclaim. Maybe when you hear the word contend, you think of boxing or fighting. If you're a movie buff, you think of Marlon Brando saying, Man, I could have been a contender. You think about fighting. You think, we're getting in the ring. We're boxing this out. We're duking this out. That's what contending is about. That's what that word means. And that's exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) That we need to fight for the gospel. But listen, before you get your boxing gloves on and you get ready to go out back into the workplace and into your neighborhood and say, all right, I'm ready to throw down. I'm going to drop some truth bombs on some people this week because I need to contend for the gospel. I'm not talking about out there. (laughs) I'm not talking about us going out there and contending for the gospel in the marketplace of ideas. I'm talking about fighting for it right here in our community and in your heart. See, Paul isn't talking about going and contending for the faith. He's not talking about doing this outside. He's talking about doing it within the church. Because the Galatians are bombarded with false gospels. Even in this meeting with the apostles, they're bombarded with false gospels. We can go back to Acts and see they're constantly fighting through this. And throughout church history that people have had to fight for the gospel within inside the church. To see the gospel of grace preserved. Nothing being added to it. And we always want to add stuff to the gospel. Because it's too good to be true to us. And so today, we need to do the same thing. Because you and I are bombarded with false gospels. Oftentimes, they're dressed up to look alive. But the reality is, they're just a rotting corpse. that only leads to death. A popular, just as an example, a popular online Christian bookstore, it lists their best-selling books. So you go on there and say, okay, what are people reading? What are people in the church reading today? I want to read a book in Christian living about what it looks like to live for Christ and live out my faith. And so I can go on this website and I can click on bestsellers in Christian living. And there's a, there's a long list of books. And some of them are really great. Books that I would encourage us to read. Some of them are okay. But the most startling thing is that on this book, mixed in with all these good books, are books written by false teachers. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Charlatans who are spying out our freedom. To seek to enslave us once again to something that is not the gospel. Contending for and preserving the gospel of grace means sojourn that we need to grow in our theological discernment. So that we can sniff out a false gospel and call it what it is and say, no, that's not grace and grace alone. And we can push it away. And we can do this in a couple of ways. We can contend in a couple of ways. We can look back at church history And see the scarlet thread of redeeming grace that's been weaved all throughout church history. That preaches grace and grace alone. That says, yes, this is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It's the truth and the faith that stands above all time, transcends all cultures, and has endured through all generations. See, when you and I know a little bit of our family history, when we know a little bit about church history and and the theology that the church has championed, the faith that's been delivered to the saints for all time, we can sniff out these false gospels and return to grace. The book of Galatians is an example to us in that. That we can go back to God's word and allow God's word to help us to discern what the true gospel is. And and to recognize that is what we have been taught, what we are believing, does that match up with what the church has always believed and always taught? Is anything being added to Christ and what he's already accomplished for us? So we need to be good students of that. But we can also do what Paul did. We can take the gospel that we believe and we can lay it before one another. To help one another, to understand and believe and continue to believe that it's grace and grace alone, that it's Jesus plus nothing. See, it's easy, it's easy, it's subtle to to allow a false belief, to allow a false gospel to seep into our minds and our hearts where we believe that we have to do something in order to get something from God. Or that we have to perform in order to be loved by God. And it slips into our hearts and our minds. But as a community of brothers and sisters together who are contending for the gospel and seeking it to be be preserved in our hearts and in our lives. We can see that in our brothers and sisters lives and say, "Brother, sister, that's not the gospel. That's not grace. See, we don't tell one another to do better or try harder. We call out the glorious in one another. we look for evidences of grace in each other's life and say, brother, sister, see this. See the grace of God in your life. We remind one another that it's not about what you do for Jesus, but what he's done for you already. See, when we lay the gospel out before one another, it doesn't, it doesn't only just encourage us, it helps us to be able to encourage and challenge other people who are struggling. Let me give you an example. If you're sitting in a community group, Maybe you've broken up and you're spending time with the guys or the girls and you're praying with one another and you're sharing things about life and somebody in your community group just says, man, I'm so tired of this. They confess some sin. I'm so tired of this. I, just, I need to do better this week. I need to do better this week. I need to be focused this week. I need to get on my game this week. You can listen to them and you can seek to contend for and preserve the gospel of grace in that person's life. And maybe you press a little further and you say, brother, sister, what do you, what do you mean by do better this week? What do you mean by try harder this week? And maybe they respond by saying something like, I, I don't know, I guess I just feel like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, that this isn't what real Christians do. They don't do stuff like that. And, and I'm, I'm just I'm tired of it and I'm afraid. I just feel like God's going to give up on me. You can sniff it out. Do better. Try harder. Perform in order to get something from God, but no grace. Listen, God has called us to a holy way of living. He has called us to a holy way of living. It's good to want to walk in holiness and live out a holy life. And Paul's going to talk more about that as we get into more of Galatians. But, But it is always for our good to do that. It's never a system for our salvation that we have to do something to earn God's favor. So we can say to that brother, brother, I'm so glad that you're convicted of your sin because that is not God's best for you. It's not God's best for you. So return to grace. Remember who you are in Christ, someone who's been saved by grace and grace alone. And brother, God is doing a transforming work in your life. He is. He promises to do that. He is making you more like Jesus. There's a bit of grotesque in you right now, but that's the old you. What the true you is, is the glorious. That's the new you, and it's shining through. So walk in the new, walk in the light, walk in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for you. Because of Jesus, you are set free. You're not in bondage to your sin anymore. It has no power in your life anymore. Jesus has set you free. You are not captive to it anymore. You really have been set free. That is grace. See, we don't preach a gospel to one another that says do better or try harder. We preach a gospel of resting in the grace we've received. And we call one another to live out in that reality. To be who we already are in Christ. Because we've been united with him. He is ours. And we are his. And then we can walk with one another. We can help one another fight for freedom. The freedom we already have in Christ. We pray with one another. We speak truth. We exhort. We challenge. We encourage. And when one of us is weary, we pick pick each other up and throw each other on our backs. And carry one another to the spring of life. To the fountain of grace. And say, drink brother. Drink sister. Get your fill. It will never run out. God's grace will never run out on you. He'll never turn his back on you. Man, I need to hear that. I mean, even recently in my life, I've been reminded of my need for grace. I've been reminded that my identity is not in what I do, but whose I am. Who I belong to. That I belong to Jesus and he to me. I've been reminded that idolatry in my life always leads to slavery And that true freedom in Jesus and what he has done for me, it comes through what he's done for me, not what I do for him. I need to be reminded of grace. I need brothers and sisters to point that out in my life and say, brother, that's not the gospel. The gospel is grace and grace alone. See, sojourn, the grace that saves us is the grace that changes us. And God uses us together to fight for that freedom. Together to contend for and preserve the gospel of grace in our community and in our hearts and our lives. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But listen, there are lots of places for us to contend and preserve within our lives, within our families. Husbands and wives can contend for and preserve the gospel of grace. Husband, are you encouraging your wife in grace or do you treat her or make her think she has to do something to earn favor with you? Are you reminding one another of grace day in and day out? Parents, what do you do with your kids? Do they have to do something to earn your favor? Are you preaching and sharing and exemplifying grace in your home? Roommates, how do you treat one another? How do you speak grace to one another? Let me just ask you this question. Maybe this is a good way to think about this. Are there false gospels in your house right now? functionally false gospels in your house that says it's Jesus, yes, but there's more to do. There's more to do. Even in your home, contend for and preserve the gospel of grace. Let me go back to something I said a little bit ago that maybe you didn't catch. I said that Christianity, that our faith is about who I am in Christ, not what I do for him. It's about who I am in Christ, not what I do for him. And the truth of the gospel of grace, the amazing thing about the gospel of grace is that it has the power to save anyone. There's no one that's too far gone. And so if you don't yet know Christ, know this morning that this grace is available to you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you don't clean yourself up first and then come to God. You come as the mess that you are with all of your mess, all of your baggage, all of your brokenness, and you fall at the feet of Jesus, who by his grace makes you brand new. So this morning, turn away from your sin. Turn away from the lie that says that you are okay on your own. Turn to Christ, the Savior of the world, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for your sin and rose again, that you might be set free and experience true freedom. Listen, Jesus alone is who makes us pure. Jesus alone. We can't do anything to, to be pure on our own. We can't do anything to be able to stand before holy God on our own. It's all of what Christ has done. It's, why, it's grace from beginning to end. It's Jesus who makes us clean. It's Jesus who washes us white as snow. And this amazing news, that's amazing grace, that's worth contending for, and it's worth preserving, but it's something we can't keep inside. Like Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, we, when we are overwhelmed by this, when we are starting to rest in this and soak in this, we feel like there's a fire in our bones and we have to tell other people about it. So we don't only contend and preserve, we also go and proclaim. There was work to be done in Paul's day and there's work to be done in our day. There are people all over the world, there are people all over your life right now that are desperate for God's grace. Some of them know it and some of them don't. But God has called and commissioned every single one of us from the day that he poured out his grace on us. Not when we figured everything out. Not when we knew all the answers. Not when we went to seminary or led a community group or served in a certain way. From the day that he poured his grace out on you, he called and commissioned you to be an agent of grace. An ambassador of reconciliation so that a lost and dying world might experience and know the resurrecting power of God's unfathomable grace in their life. See, the insanity of the gospel of grace is that it can be translated into any cultural context because it transcends all culture. It's one gospel for all people. That means we can go anywhere to anyone with this message. But as we go, as we go, let's make sure that we're proclaiming Jesus plus nothing. That we're proclaiming grace and grace alone. That we're not unknowingly or unwittingly adding something to the gospel. And see, I think that starts to happen when we don't contend for it. We don't seek to see it preserved in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own community. And so we can subtly start to promote a moralistic religion that says you need to check a few boxes off. You need to look a certain way or do a certain thing. We can have the sentiment of things like don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. Man, we, 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 we laugh at that, right? But I mean, that's, that's how we live sometimes. And this is what a real Christian looks like. If you you really know Jesus, this is what you need to do. And so we place this burden on people. See, we need to recognize that we, when we bring the gospel of grace to others, that we're not calling them to to conform to a culture that we've created. We're calling them to Jesus. We're calling them to Jesus and trusting that Jesus will conform them to be more like him, not more like us. So let's be careful to proclaim grace and grace alone to the addict, to to the person enslaved to pornography, to the prostitute, to the gang member, to the abuser, to the person struggling with same-sex attraction, to the greedy, to the vain, to the proud. And let's say, come to Jesus. Come as you are. He is good and he is gracious and he died for you while you were still a mess to make you whole, To give you life. You don't have to clean yourself up first. You can't. Only God can, and He will make you brand new. He will make you glorious. He will make you like His Son because He loves you too much to leave you as you are. That is grace. It's what Jesus accomplished. It's what Paul fought for and spent his life pouring out his life for, and it has made all the difference in the world. One gospel. For all people. Praise God for his amazing grace. As we come to the table now, what we're going to do is we're going to contend for and preserve the gospel. And we're going to proclaim the gospel of grace. See, when we eat the bread and drink the the cup, the Holy Spirit preaches to us. It preaches to your heart and it preaches to all of us gathered here this morning that it's grace alone. It says you can do nothing, but Christ has done everything. Everything. It's finished in Jesus, so come forward and rest in that grace this morning. Lay down your burdens. Lay down your self-made religion. Lay down your laws and your rules and, and your boxes to check. Lay down your imperfections. Lay down your selfishness. Lay down your pride. Lay down your image. Lay down your riches. Lay down your life come as you are and be refreshed in and renewed in what Christ alone has done for you, what he's accomplished for you, that Jesus died and he rose again to give you grace upon grace upon grace. And for those of you that don't know Christ yet, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning to take the bread and the cup because this is a declaration, it's a proclamation that we are a people desperate for grace, that we come empty-handed To God, because we know it's only Christ who can save us. It's only Christ who can change us. And so if you don't yet know Christ, we want to ask you not to come forward, but just to hang out in your seat and pray. We want you to take Christ today. We want you to experience God's grace today. So pray, ask God to save you today. Turn away from anything you've been putting your hope in, if it's not Jesus, and turn to Jesus today. And if you have questions about what it means to know and follow Christ, please come talk to me afterwards or any of our other leaders. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you this morning. Those of you that will come forward, you can either come forward to the front, to these two tables. There's also two tables in the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink and listen to the words that are spoken to you this morning. It's what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Father, we praise your name this morning. We praise you for the fact that you have established your church on the truth of the gospel. That you have preserved the message of grace for thousands of years. And Lord, we pray that you will. We know that you will continue to preserve it for as many more years until Jesus returns. So Lord, we thank you for this story that Paul relates to the Galatians to help us realize it's not just an interesting story. That it's foundational for us as a people and as a church. And so Lord, as we celebrate this morning... Hearing the words that Jesus' body was broken for us, that Jesus' blood was shed for us, may that preach to us this morning to remind us that we bring nothing, we have nothing. It's all of what Jesus has done. May that be the gospel that's rooted in our hearts, rooted in our lives, that comes out of our mouth as we share it with others. Lord, help us to contend and preserve the gospel of grace. Help us to go and proclaim that more and more people all over this community and all of this world might know the freedom that comes in and through Christ alone. Lord, we are desperate for you. and We are desperate for your grace. Thank you that you pour it out on us freely and it never ends. We love you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.